to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we're beginning a brand new Bible study series on the book of Philippians. Probably going to take us about three months to work our way through this book. I have to admit this is probably my favorite letter um, that Paul wrote. I just really, really enjoy it. Uh, I like the teaching of it. I like the themes of it. I like that it's focused on joy and that we can have joy no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through. The title is Philippians. The title of the series is Philippians, Finding Joy in a Negative World. Finding joy in a negative world. And the letter of the letter of Paul to the Philippians is only four chapters long. Uh, got a number of topics and themes, but all of them focus on joy and how we can have joy in all of life's circumstances. There's some form of the word joy, joy, joyful, rejoice, whatever. Um, it's mentioned 15 to 16 times in four chapters. So that's that's pretty good. And it's really interesting to note that Paul wrote this most joyful of his letters while he was in prison. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The town Philippi, uh, just briefly, was a major Roman colony in northern Greece. We call it Greece now. Back then it was called Macedonia. And it was originally named after Philip, Alexander the Great's father. They called it Philippi. Um, A lot of veterans of the Roman army settled in this place because there had been two great Roman battles that had been fought in the area. And because of that, um, Philippi had been given special status by the Roman Empire, even though it was kind of away from Rome. And the people that settled there had great privileges. They had citizenship. You would think everybody's a citizen, right? No, not everybody was a citizen in the Roman Empire. But the people of Philippi um, were able to have citizenship and self-rule, and they had exemption from some taxes. That's a benefit that I wouldn't mind, you know. But anyway, um, this letter, Philippians, was written by Paul about AD 60 from prison in Rome, and he wrote it about 10 years after he started the church in Philippi. And that's what we're going to be reading a little bit later, not right now, and when we get to Acts chapter 16, it's the story of how Paul ended up at Philippi, how he started the church there, and what happened while he was there. Um, this particular church, uh, Paul had a really close relationship with Paul. You know, Paul loved all the churches that he founded. He had problems with many of the churches he founded, especially Corinth, because of false teachers that came in after he founded the church and stirred up a whole lot of problems. But Philippians didn't seem to have any of these problems. They were very, very close. And the Philippians, over the years, had helped support Paul in his ministry. And now that he's in prison, they had sent him um, an offering, which was great because when you were in prison under the Roman Empire, you had to pay your own way. Um, You had to pay for your food. You had to pay for where you're staying, all that kind of stuff. And so the Philippians had been very, very helpful to Paul. And like I said, very, very, very close. Okay, Um, They had sent this offering to them by a man by the name of Epaphroditus, and Paul wrote them to thank them and to encourage them, but also to warn them about some of the things that were going on. So that's just a very brief background. If you like historical background to stuff, there's a lot more deeper stuff you can read about in uh, any commentary or even study Bible about Philippi and the book of Philippians. But the title of the lesson tonight is Sinners, Saints, and Servants. 
sinners, saints, and servants. And we're going to cover two full verses in Philippians. Now, we're not going to do the whole book, just two verses at a time. But there is a lot of interesting stuff in these two verses, and we're going to take the time tonight to go back, as I said, in Acts 16 to see how the church was founded. But let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, back in the first century, when people would write letters, it's a little bit different than we write them today. Although, um, any of you still write letters? I mean, actually write letters down and mail them? Anybody? A couple people, yeah. I mean, today we're so used to emails and texts and, and voice messages and voicemails and instant messages and Facebook Messenger and all that kind of stuff. But I remember writing letters, especially when I was in college, because it cost an arm and a leg to call long distance. But uh, the typical, traditional way we would write would say, dear, and you'd put whoever you're writing to, you'd write your letter, and you'd sign your name at the end. They didn't do that back then. Back then, you would start out by saying who you were, which to me makes a lot more sense. I mean, of course, if you get a letter in the mail, if you look at the return address, you know who it's from. But if you didn't, you'd have to look at a letter, look at the very end to see who it's from. But they would start with who it's from, and then mention who it's to, and then have some kind of greeting Okay, or blessing. And that's exactly what Paul does here. But there's something that's repeated over and over in these two verses. Okay? What is repeated in these two verses? A couple of words is repeated several times. Anybody? Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Yeah. You know, in two verses, Paul, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is at the center of Philippians. Of course, Jesus is at the center of the New Testament, at the center of the gospel. But I mentioned how joy is mentioned in Philippians four verses, 15 or 16 times. Jesus, Christ, Jesus, Jesus, Christ, Christ. Jesus is mentioned more than 60 times in these four chapters. Now, that doesn't maybe surprise us because the gospel message is all about Jesus. But that's a lot in this very short letter. So of all the themes and ideas that Paul's going to talk about, and we're going to mention several of them tonight, it's all centered on Jesus Christ. Okay? It's all centered on Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about sinners, saints, and servants. Sinners. Sinners. Now, the word sinners is not used in here, but we're going to see who the sinners But who are the sinners in this passage? Unbelievers. Unbelievers? Okay, I read through here. It says, Paul and Timothy are servants. We're going to talk about servants. And it says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So that's the people of Philippi. So I guess the sinners are the overseers and the deacons. No, just joking. Just joking. Just joking. Had to throw that out there. You know, because, it's, you know, Paul and Timothy are the servants and the saints are the people. So the only other people mentioned are the overseers and deacons. But just joking. I'm an overseer. That's another word for pastor, elder, whatever. Okay. The point is is that it's unbelievers, like John said, but we are all sinners. It's the first thing on your note sheet. We are all sinners. Now, we may be saved, thank God. Hopefully you are saved from your sin. But we all started out sinners. All the people that Paul wrote to started out as sinners. Paul himself started out as a sinner. We are all sinners. 
Letter A on your note sheet, it says Paul was a sinner. He's listed here. He's listed as the author. Timothy's with him. But Paul was a sinner. And he said he was the worst of sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You know, if you don't know much about Paul, we often think of Paul who also was known as Saul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. And he was very zealous for God. He, uh, if he wasn't a Pharisee, he was just like them, okay? It's not real clear whether he was or not. I kind of lean to the idea he probably was, but we don't know. But anyway, and the Pharisees were very meticulous about keeping the law, all right, and doing what pleased God. And he was very zealous in fact, later in this letter in Philippians, he's going to talk about as far as keeping the law, he says, I did it right. But he did not recognize Jesus as Messiah. And so there's no evidence that Paul ever met Jesus. But once Jesus had gone through his life and died and was buried and rose again and ascended to heaven and the church was born, Paul did everything he could to stamp out the church persecute believers. He would go and arrest believers. He would be there at their trials. He would give their vote to have them put to death. He was there um, when the first um, recorded martyr in scripture was put to death for his faith. That was Stephen. Okay. And um, but God got a hold of him. In fact, he was traveling out of town, going to a town way down the road, Damascus, to try to round up some more Christians and bring them back to be tried and um, punished for believing in this um, blasphemous sect, okay? And Jesus revealed himself to him. And uh, bright light, Paul was blinded. He fell to the ground. He had to be helped to his feet, helped to Damascus. He was blind for three days. God told him to, to call for a man named Ananias. And Ananias was a great believer. And God told Ananias, go talk to Saul. And Ananias is probably thinking, I've heard he's coming to town to kill us all, and you want me to go talk to him. Great story in Acts. But he did it anyway. And um, so anyway, Paul, Saul, now known as Paul, uh, was gloriously saved, and Jesus said, you're going to be my emissary to the Gentile world, basically. You know? And you're going to suffer a lot of stuff along the way. And so Paul was saved, called to plant churches, um, he was an assistant pastor for a while in a place called Antioch, and he made three missionary journeys, as you read through the book of Acts. A lot of it's uh, second half of it's all about his missionary journeys that he made, okay? So that's Paul, all right? And during the second missionary journey is when he planted the church in Philippi, and we'll read about that in a few minutes. Um, letter B, Timothy was a sinner. Timothy was a sinner. Um, Paul writes Timothy at the end of Paul's life after Timothy has traveled with him for a long time. He called Timothy his spiritual son. Um, we'll learn more about how all that happened when we read Acts 16. But um, Paul trained up Timothy to be a great pastor and a great spiritual leader. And at the end of Paul's life, he writes to Timothy, and he, he, he has some memories going through his mind. In the second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Okay? Uh, Timothy was a man of faith. He was privileged to have a mother and a grandmother that accepted Jesus Christ as Messiah. His mother was Jewish, his father was not Jewish, and uh, Timothy gave his heart to the Lord. But before that, Timothy was a sinner. 
we find that all the people that Paul is writing to uh, in Philippi, they're all sinners. The Philippians were all sinners. Okay, now's a good time to turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to read about this church in Philippi and how it got started. Okay, this church got started because people needed Jesus. That's where God's work always starts. People need Jesus. And he calls people to take the gospel to them. And that's still true for us today, to the people that are around us and the people that are around our world. That's why we talk a lot around here about missions and about supporting missions and missionaries. But we also talk a lot about how can we reach the people right around us. And so we're going to read through Acts 16, and we're going to go through it kind of quick. But this is the story of how this church that Paul is now writing to 10 years later got started, all right? All right. It got started because the people of Greece needed Jesus. The people of Greece needed Jesus. Now, it, that is the common term, Greece, if you want to be more biblically correct, write Macedonia. If you don't know how to spell Macedonia, well, it's in Acts, okay? But the people of Greece needed Jesus, and nobody had gone there yet. All right? So we're going to pick this up in Acts chapter 16. Paul has already had one missionary journey where he leaves Antioch and he goes all through the area we now know as Turkey. Okay? It's Asia Minor. All right? And had had great success. As we've said many times, every place Paul went, there was either a riot or a revival and usually both. Okay? Then he went back and gave the report to the church and then God sent him out on a second missionary journey. And that's where we pick it up. On the second missionary journey, he goes back to Asia Minor to visit all the churches where they already planted um, churches and establishments, and then he was going to go into some new territory. So we pick it up in Acts 16, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. These are two towns he'd already been to in his first journey. A disciple was there in Lystra named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So Paul is traveling in the second journey. And um, he comes to Lystra, and here's this young man named Timothy. Good chance that Timothy became a Christian during the first journey when Paul came through. But now he's grown up. Now he's matured. He's got a great reputation as a young man of God. And Paul says, I want to take this guy with me. I want to take him under my wing. I want to train him. And God led for that to happen. And so they continued on to the areas where Paul had already been, and they were strengthening the churches. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Interesting thought here. They're making plans to the best of their ability, being led by the Holy Spirit, and they wanted to go a certain direction, and the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go that direction. Go a different direction. Shows the importance of following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. So they, they came to this other place, and they were wanting to go to the right and God says, nope, don't go to the right. It says, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Troas is a little town on the sea. On the other side of the sea is what we would call Europe. Nobody's been to Europe yet. Okay. 
Paul's been in Asia Minor, what we, what we now call Turkey, and he's traveling around. He wants to do some more in northern Asia Minor, northern Turkey. And Paul says, God says, nope. So he tra- travels west a little bit further. He tries to go north again into Asia Minor. He says, nope. And he goes down to the seaside town. And so verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, which is northern Greece, was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, it says we, so Luke must have joined him here, because Luke is writing this. We sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So people in Greece needed to hear about Jesus. And Paul had his plans, and I'm sure he prayed about them, and he was trying to do what the Lord said. He had gone to all the churches he'd founded before. Now he wants to go to some new places in Asia Minor because he's had some, uh, some good work there. You know, some bumps in the road, some difficulties too, but some good work. And God says, no, I want you to go over to Greece. I want you to go over to Macedonia. And stopped him through the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, but then gave him a vision to say, go over there. Because the people of Greece needed Jesus. Now, what that says to us on your note sheet is that unreached people groups need Jesus. You know, it's sad to think that today, 2,000 years You know, after Jesus was walking this earth, there are still people who've never even heard of Jesus. They're called unreached people groups. And it shows the importance of reaching the unreached and also following the the leading of the Lord, you know, because God will lead us, people we send out, people we support to those that he's working in their hearts and lives. Now, that doesn't mean that we forget the people around us, you know, we live in a culture where anybody can hear the gospel anytime and probably already has for most people. Although, you know, there are still people in the United States that have never heard about Jesus. I remember when we were pastoring in Memphis before we came here 19 years ago that this little boy came to our church and my wife was talking to him and said something about Jesus. He said, who's Jesus? I've never heard about Jesus. This is in the United States. Okay. But here in our country, gospel's all over the place. But it still needs to be proclaimed and shared, especially by us. Okay, but unreached people groups need Jesus, and that's why um, we're so supportive of mer- uh, missionaries all across our nation and around the world, and especially to those people that have not had a very uh, good witness about Jesus Christ. Okay, the next section here, we're going to see that there's an individual in Philippi. Okay, um, he has, actually hasn't gotten to Philippi yet. God says go over to their Greece, over to Macedonia. But there's a lady in Philippi. There's a lady in Greece. She's a worshiper of God, Lydia. Lydia, a worshiper of God, needed Jesus. We see that as we continue the story in Acts 16, verses 11 to 15. It says, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, which is an island in the middle of the sea. And the following day to Neapolis, which is another seaside town on the other side of the sea, And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So Jewish people had traveled all over the world. And wherever there were enough men, they could establish a synagogue. Apparently, there weren't enough Jewish men in Philippi to establish a synagogue. And in the Roman colonies... Uh, if you were a worshiper of any foreign religion that wasn't the Roman gods, you'd have to meet outside the city. And so there weren't enough men for a synagogue, so these ladies are worshipers of God, 
And we're going to worship God, so we got to go outside the city, and they would go on the Sabbath. And so Paul and Timothy and Luke, they went out there, and they found these women. Verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. She was a businesswoman who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. God loved Lydia so much that he sent Paul to share the gospel with her. She was already a a, a worshiper of the Lord, the one true God, but she didn't know about Jesus. And so what this tells us is that religious people need Jesus. This lady was religious. She was open, but she didn't have the full truth. And there may be people around us who are religious, who are spiritual. They're open to spiritual things, but they don't yet know Jesus. Religious people need Jesus. But you know what? People that aren't religious, in fact, people that seem like their life has gone off the rails, everything's fallen apart, they may seem unreachable, They may seem like people we don't have anything to do with. They need Jesus, too. And we see one of those in this story. The slave girl, possessed by a demon, needed Jesus. That's also what happened here in Philippi. We pick it up in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, because they were there for a while, so they would go, I don't know, every day or at least every Sabbath. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This young lady was demon-possessed. And she was used by the demon and by her owners to tell the future, to tell fortunes, to do various things, and her owners made a lot of money. But it's interesting because she's following Paul and Timothy and Luke and whoever else is there with him. She's following them and she's crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God. They're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Why would that annoy Paul, especially so much to want to cast the demon out of her? I mean, she's telling the truth. Any thoughts? What would you say, Vita? She, she wasn't a servant of God, had not met Jesus. Yeah? Chris? Could have been a mocking spirit. Well, could be. But she's telling the truth. You know what? If Paul had said or done nothing, and I'm sure he's following the leading of the Holy Spirit here, her saying that they were preaching the truth would almost give legitimacy to what she was doing too. And that may have been what the enemy, the devil, was trying to do through her to try to get some kind of legitimacy because Paul and them were preaching the truth. And if people accepted that, they might accept her and what she was doing. It would have muddled the gospel because it would have been a mixture of the truth and um, false teaching. And so, you know, I don't know why Paul waited as long as he did. Maybe she wasn't open to it before. But um, thank God that he loved this slave girl so much that he wanted to see her delivered and come to know Jesus Christ. And so she was. Um, What does that tell us on your note sheet? Those who seem hopeless need Jesus. Those who seem hopeless. You know, there are some people that are really easy to love. It's usually people that are a lot like us, 
people that we get along with, people who have a similar lifestyle, maybe a similar background or whatever. But you know, everybody needs Jesus. And we need to be open to loving and accepting anybody that God brings within, basically within our presence, you know? I mean, that's something we talk and preach about a lot here, that we want to love and welcome anybody God brings through our doors, no matter what they look like, no matter what they smell like, no matter what their lifestyle's like, no matter what, because they need Jesus. And if Jesus can set this slave girl free from this demon, he can certainly make a difference of any, in the life of anybody that comes to us, too. All right. Well, there's another guy, another individual that God loves so much, he sent Paul there, and he's a jailer. He's just doing his job. The jailer who's just doing his job needed Jesus, too. We read about him starting in verse 19. So Paul delivered this young lady from a demon, or cast out this demon. Unfortunately, well, unfortunately for her owners, she could no longer tell fortunes. So they were losing money. They weren't happy. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And they, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. There's a whole sermon there. After having been beaten, thrown in prison, in stocks, at midnight, they are praising Jesus. <laughs> okay? And we think we have it rough sometimes. All right? Anyway, um, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. He was getting ready to kill himself because he was responsible for them. If they had escaped, the Romans would have killed him because he wouldn't have done his job. Okay, But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. You know, if Paul and his companions had not been arrested, mistreated, and thrown in prison, there's a very good chance this jailer might never have met Jesus. And that's something for us to think about. Sometimes the difficulties that we're going through, it's not only that God wants to use them in our lives, to mold and shape us and help us to grow and mature and be stronger in our faith. But there may be something about that situation God's going to use to touch somebody else's life or lead somebody to Jesus. So we need to be open to that. On your note sheet, what this tells us today is that everyday people need, to need Jesus. The jailer was just doing his job, going about everyday business. But God loved him so much that he brought Paul and his companions, put them through all that stuff, 
and did a supernatural work so that he could come to know Jesus. The last thing under this particular point about the Philippians were all sinners is that the whole world needed Jesus. And that's why God took them there. Let's finish off the chapter, Acts 16, starting in verse 35. There's a little bit of humor in this part when you see it. Verse 35, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. So Paul and them are hanging around because they're supposed to be arrested. I don't know if they're back in jail or if they're just staying with the jailer, but they're staying there because the jailer is responsible. They don't want to get him in trouble. But it says, when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. Now, you got to stop here for a second. You have to understand what they did to Paul. They had no legal right to do to a Roman citizen. They never dreamed he was a Roman citizen. They could do that kind of stuff to other people, but you don't do that kind of stuff to a Roman citizen. So no, Paul's like, you threw us in jail. You want us to slink out of town? I'm a Roman city, but citizen, buddy. You're going. <laughs> I'm not saying Paul had an attitude. I'm just saying he was human, you know. So he's 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 standing up here a little bit. But anyway, he says, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And if you read on through the book of Acts, you see that they go to a bunch of other cities. They go to Thessalonica next, plan a church, and then Paul writes two letters to them. And they end up going down to Athens and Berea and a number of other places. Okay, there's only a couple of places where Paul actually stayed for a long time. Corinth was one of them. Ephesus is one of them. He just followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the whole world needed Jesus. And so God orchestrated for Paul to go to Philippi to touch the people there, touch Lydia and her friends and this jailer and whoever else was saved. And then he says, it's time to go on because the whole world. And, you know, I sent you to Greece. Now you're going to go through the rest of Greece. And so he did. And so we see God guiding and leading Paul because... We're all sinners, and we need Jesus. And, Jesus. and Jesus used Paul then, but he wants to use us now. And he wants us to use us to touch the same sort of people, the unreached people groups, the religious people, the people that seem hopeless, the everyday people. Everybody needs Jesus. And I look at Paul and say, yeah, but he was Paul. doesn't matter. God can use us, maybe not the same ways, maybe not to the same degree, but he can use us to reach people too. All right. So they're all sinners. They all needed to be saved, and many of them were. Now let's talk about the saints. The saints. I'm not talking about a basketball, a football game. Are saints basketball, football? What are they? Football? That's what I thought. I didn't mean to say basketball, so we're not talking about a football game. You know, I don't know about you, but when I think of saints, I th- I, you know, just in general, I think of the Roman Catholic Church, and, and they have saints. Okay, it's a trivia question. Anybody know what it takes to become a saint in the Roman Catholic Church? You have to die first. Yeah, they don't, they don't have living saints. You have to die first. I did some research. John, what were you going to say? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. First of all, you've got to be dead, usually for a while. Your name is proposed. Um, there's a lot of things, including you have to have had a very holy life, pure doctrine. You had to have been put to death for your faith and two miracles, at least, as a result of your prayers. 
Okay? Those are some of the things that have to happen before you can be declared a saint according to the Catholic Church. The thing is interesting is that's not the definition of a saint from the Bible. Now, i got to tell you this story. Uh, I heard this story years ago, and I love this story, and I can't get by without telling you about it. So there are these two brothers. They were well-known around their town for being very evil, very crooked. They were businessmen, and they had underworld connections. They were mean, cold-blooded, about the worst people you could think of. One day, one of the brothers died, and the other brother wanted to give them this big, fancy funeral. And so he went to the funeral home and made all the arrangements to make this funeral as fancy as he possibly could. And then he went to the town's minister, and he made him an offer he couldn't refuse. He says, I'll give $50,000 to your church if when you're talking about my brother, you call him a saint. The pastor had to think about this, pray about it, prayed about it. He finally agreed. He finally agreed. So it came the day of the funeral, and the minister's there. The whole town turns out for this funeral, because they've heard the story. One of the worst men, he'd caused so much trouble for so many people, evil, bad, and they, this pastor's going to be preaching his funeral. So here's what the pastor said. The man you see in the coffin was a vile and evil individual. He was a liar, a thief, a deceiver, a manipulator, a reprobate, and a hedonist. He destroyed the fortunes, careers, and lives of countless people in the city, some of whom are here today. This man did every dirty, rotten thing you can think of. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) Anyway, I heard that story a long time ago. Whenever I hear the word saint, I think of that. So I wonder if he got the $50,000 for his shirt. Obviously, it's not a true story. but. But biblically, who are saints? We are. All of God's people are saints. On your note sheet, all who know Jesus as Savior are saints. No, you don't have to die first. Well, we have to be dead to sin. Yes, you're right, Lynn. That's right. You have to die to sin. You've got to be a follower of Jesus. That's right. That's right. The word saint means holy one or one who is set apart. Set apart. Um, set apart from sin. For service to God. Okay? How many of you feel like saints? <laughs> you don't want to raise your head because they'd be guilty of pride and that would bring you further down, right? You know, it's like, no, I can't really. But the Bible says if you know Jesus as your Savior, you're a saint. How can He look at us as holy ones when we know what a mess we've been and we still sometimes are? How can God look at us as saints? I hear lot. He sees us through his son. What did you say, Sharon? Because it's not about what we've done. Okay, it's not about what we've done, but what Jesus has done for us. Yeah, on your note sheet, I have this at letter A. We are saints not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. You know, that's even very clear in this passage. Okay, let me go back to Philippians. I'm still in Acts. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus... Now, these saints are in Philippi. That's the physical place, but they are saints because they're in Christ Jesus. All right? 2 Corinthians 5.21 is probably the clearest verse that really summarizes what happened here and how God can look at us as saints. It says, for our sake, he, talking about God, made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You know, I've preached on this, I'm sure Lynn has too, many times. And 
Call it the great exchange. Jesus is willing to trade his righteousness for our sins. He took our sins upon the cross so we could have his righteousness. So God looks down, and if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we're saints. Okay? We have the holiness of Jesus. So does this mean, does this mean that it doesn't matter how we live? Well, you know, the Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and all that kind of stuff, so why not? Because that's not what repentance is, and repentance is part of the process, isn't it? Coming to Jesus means that we need to repent and believe. We've talked about that a lot of times. The prophets in the Old Testament told God's people, repent of your sins and believe. You know, John came preaching, repent and believe. Jesus came preaching, repent and believe. Peter and Paul preached, repent and believe. We repent of our sins And then we put our trust, we believe in Jesus. If we've truly believed in Jesus, that means we've taken that other step too. We've repented of our sins. And yes, the Bible does say that as we know Jesus our Savior, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. John said that in 1 John, but all through 1 John, he also says, but if that's true, you're going to do your best to live a godly life. You're going to do the best you can to not sin. Okay? He says, now... We're still going to sin, and thank God that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we're not going to live in it anymore. It's not going to be the habit. It's not going to be our lifestyle. It's not going to be our our deliberate choice over and over and over again. Okay? Letter B on your note sheet. We are already holy ones in God's eyes, but we are called to live a life of holiness in this world. And unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of unbalanced teaching about a lot of things that come up from time to time and and all that kind of stuff. But one of the ones that's going around now is this whole hyper grace. And we're so thankful for God's grace. And God's grace is phenomenal. But the hyper grace movement basically says God's grace is so good, you can basically live however you want because God's grace is going to cover it. And it's like it ignores like half the New Testament because half the New Testament is all about God's grace is wonderful. But the other half is if you really responded to God's grace, you're going to change your life. And his Holy Spirit's going to change it from the inside out, and you're not going to live that way. Okay? I'm just going to read these two verses out of Romans 6, verses 19 and 22. Paul says, Just as you once presented your members, the members, the parts of your body, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, which means holiness or a right life. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So the Bible says if we're truly saved, it'll make a difference in our lives. If it hasn't made a difference in our lives, we're still living like we always did. We could care less about whether we're sinning or not. We may be fooling ourselves if we think we're a believer. And I'm not just saying that. God says that in his word. Okay? But thank God... Whatever we're wrestling with, whatever we're dealing with, we are, we're sinners. But if we know Jesus, we are saved by grace. And in God's eyes, we are saints. He sees Christ's righteousness. Okay. The third group of people, which we need to wrap up here in the next six minutes or so, are the servants. The servants. Paul opens by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Okay. This word for servant is literally in the Greek, slave. Slave, one who is subject to the will and holy at the disposal of his master. And who's the master? Jesus Christ. That's right. But what's really interesting that Paul's going to bring out in this book, like in this letter, like no other letter he wrote, 
is that, yes, Jesus is Lord. And he's going to call him Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over again. But even though he is Lord, Jesus himself became a servant. We won't deal with it for a couple of weeks, but in Philippians chapter 2, he talks about how Jesus was God himself, but he didn't try to hold on to it. He came down. He put aside, and we'll talk about what that means when we get to it. So the aspects of that, but he became a servant. Just two verses I'll read, verses 7 and 8 of Philippians 2. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If we struggle being a servant, we struggle being a slave to God, we need to realize that Jesus did it himself. And he did it for us. He did it for us. So what does being a servant or a slave of Christ indicate? What does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? What, how should that affect our lives? Of course, we can say, well, it doesn't affect us. Paul and Timothy are servants, but I don't have to be one. <laughs> That's not true, though. The Bible talks a lot about how not only Paul and Timothy are servants, but we all are. What does that look like? What does that mean for us if we're a servant of Jesus Christ? We want to be like him. Okay, Lynn? Okay. We are committed to him and yielded to him to do what he wants, right? Yeah, Chris? That's right. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must take up your, you must deny yourself, which means not me, but you. Not what I want, but what you want. Take up your cross, which means whatever it costs me, even if it's my life, and follow me. And Luke's version says, do it daily. The reason he says daily is because we keep wanting to put it back down, right? We, I mean, we, we, we wrestle, don't we? Anybody got it all perfect already? You got it perfect yet, Kingsley? I, you, got, you got it perfect? No, no, okay. I'm, I'm not accusing you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We don't have it perfect yet. We still wrestle with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Even though being Christ's servant or slave uh, means being submissive to him, dependent on him, willing to serve him, it's a high calling and a privilege. You know, in the Old Testament, this is a similar title that was used of Moses and of David and of Joshua. They were servants of the Lord. Okay? So... There's a couple of titles that are used here. One of them that's not used here, and I put it in for a specific reason, letter A, is apostles. Paul does not call himself an apostle here in Philippians, but that's unusual. In most of his letters, he introduces himself as Paul the apostle. And he usually adds some stuff to it, like by the authority of God or because of Jesus Christ and all that kind of stuff. Trivia question, does anybody know why Paul emphasized that he was an apostle in most of his letters? He didn't do it in Philippians, but why he did it in most of his letters? Okay, because there were, there were people that didn't accept him, and because of what I told you before, most of the places where he planted the church, once he left, false teachers would come in, they would turn the church against him, and he had to basically assert his authority. I am an apostle. Yeah, Lynn. That's right. Jesus called him to be an apostle. Apostle means sent one. All right. Now, Paul never bragged about his apostleship, but he did have to assert it when he was dealing with churches or situations where there were false teachers that were opposing him. But he didn't have to do it for Philippians because they loved him and he loved them and they had a great relationship. Okay. So it wasn't necessary. He mentions overseers. The word here for overseers is the same word for elders or bishops. 
the same people that in other places are called pastors. These are people, um, these are those who give spiritual oversight to the church. The other passages there, we're not going to read them, but if you want to do some more deeper study into this office of elder, bishop, pastor, overseer, you can read about it in Acts 20, verse 28, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, and Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. So he mentions the overseers, the spiritual leaders of the church, and he mentions deacons. The, the, the title deacon literally means those who serve. Now, that word for serve is different than the one he used earlier that means slave. This just means somebody who does something for others to accomplish a purpose. All right? And the deacons are those who serve, those who are entrusted with matters of practical service in the church. You can read more about those in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. You know, in our church, we have both of those offices or positions. We have elders and we have deacons and deaconesses. The elders handle all the spiritual issues and decisions and things um, that have to do with the church. And the deacons and deaconesses handle all the physical and financial and practical issues of the church. All right. Letter D. This is where it comes down to us. Every believer has the privilege and responsibility of serving Jesus Christ. Every believer. Um, and I'm doing my study, and I see it myself, but most all the places I was reading about this passage, it said that, you know, Paul, and, Paul is mentioning that Timothy and I are servants. And the idea is to get across, and if we are, you guys should be too. And you guys are too, you know. Um, how do we serve Jesus? It was already mentioned on your note sheet, the first bullet point is our service is to do whatever Jesus asks us to do. To do whatever he asks us to do. The second bullet point is our service often involves ministering to each other. You know, that's where it gets tough sometimes. It's like, well, I want to minister to Jesus. I want to worship God. I'll, but when I got to deal with people, <laughs> some people are easy to deal with, right? And some people are not so easy to deal with. Not any of you, though. Please understand, I'm not talking about any of you. We don't have any people in our church that are difficult to deal with. But uh, anyway, you can read more about that in John 13, 14, and 1 Peter 4, verses 10 to 11. But serving Jesus means we're going to serve each other. And Jesus demonstrated that too, didn't he? Remember in the upper room? I think it's John 14, 13, 14, one of those two. They're gathering in the upper room, and Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He serves them with one of the lowest things a servant can do. And he did it willingly, and he said, I did this to teach you a lesson. Just like I've served you, you should serve one another. Okay. So wrapping this all up, we get to his blessing, his greeting in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses grace and peace in all his greetings and in his greetings to most of the churches he wrote. But they're major themes in all of his writings, too. And we're going to see it over and over again in Philippians. Um, in fact, when you get toward the end of this book, in chapter 4, um, verse 7, he talks about the peace of God. And in verse, um, verse 7, I mean, and in verse 9, he talks about the God of peace. And in verse 23, he talks about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, and peace are all through his writings. And those are gifts that God gives to us. The first one is the gift of grace. Grace means God's undeserved favor. He gives us what we don't deserve. And that's true in many areas of life, but most importantly in salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. We didn't deserve salvation. But God made it available to us by grace. Then he gives us the gift of peace. 
Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, peace with God is, is, is the basis for having peace inside, excuse me, and peace with other people. If we don't have peace with God, we're not going to have perfect peace in our own lives or even peace with other people. And God wants everybody to have these gifts. But he also wants us to, he wants us to offer these gifts to other people. So, as we talk about these sinners and saints and servants and grace and peace and Jesus Christ, these are all themes we're going to see over the next couple of weeks along with the idea of joy. But as we wrap this up, I've got to do it quick because we're running just a few minutes late. So we think about this, we are sinners. Have we been saved from our sins? And that's probably true for most of us, maybe even all of us in this room, but are we concerned about people who are still trapped in their sins? Concerned enough, burdened enough that we're willing to share Jesus with them. The Bible says we're saints. Do we appreciate what Jesus did for us? And are we trying to live up to that now that he's called us to do that? And then we are servants. Are we fully surrendered to Christ's lordship? Is there any area in which we, we, we resist what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live? And what are we doing to serve him? These are all important thoughts for us to think about out of this passage here. And we're going to close in prayer. Next week, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, if you want to kind of dig deeper into that ahead of time to prepare for it. I did most of the talking tonight because covering all of Acts 16 took a bit of time. But my intent is to have a lot more discussion as we go forward. We often, most of the time, do. And so we'll plan to do that next week. All right? Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together tonight to jump into this letter of Philippians And the things that you emphasize to us, Lord, for many, perhaps tonight, there wasn't anything new to learn tonight, but it certainly was stuff that could be refreshed and perhaps speak to us about how we can better love and serve you, especially by loving and serving other people, and especially those that don't know you yet. So Lord, stir our hearts to reach out to the people around us, that if they don't know Jesus, would be willing to be used by you to share Jesus with them, and Lord, to serve you by serving other people, whether they know you or not. God, we thank you that we are holy in your sight because of what Jesus did. Help us to live up to that. And God, we thank you for your grace that saved us from our sins when we didn't deserve it. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.